blessing it is. As Pastor Derek was mentioning, we got some really cool stuff. If you have not been on the men's getaway, by the way, you got to go. Um, for those of the guys out there who are a little scared of like us trying to get in your business, we're not. Uh, we're going to go have a really good time. As you can see, we blow stuff up. We shoot guns that are, well, some pretty big guns out there. And uh, we eat some amazing food and just have a really great time studying God's word. Uh, it makes all the difference in the world, by the way, especially for some of y'all who are new. All the difference in the world when you actually get to know some people, and that way Sunday morning doesn't feel like an event, it feels more like coming home. That's a huge difference. And for some of you this morning who are maybe coming for the first time, we're glad you're here, and maybe coming for the second or third time, we're super glad you're here as well. But I just encourage you that you acclimate yourself and become more than just someone who attends, more than someone who just fills in a seat. Um, we want to know you, and, and you get to know us as well. And I'm telling you, if you're a guy, man, the men's getaway is an easy, fun way. It's Friday through a Sunday, so you really miss maybe one day of work, uh, and it's a really great time. And of course, our Christmas night service, uh, man, I'm pumped about that. It's going to be really good. We're kicking off with some big stuff with the kids. And by the way, candlelight at the very end, the room gets dark as it begins to light up with candles and uh, milk and cookies. It's, it is a phenomenal night, so I definitely encourage you to be there. I wanted to give a big high five to our church. For the last couple of weeks, we've been doing the giving tree, and you not only got the gifts, you got all of them plus some, and you did it with stealth, right? Is that the right word to use? Stealth, you did it fast. Um, and yesterday, we celebrated that with our Casa party, and it turned out really, really well. And so I just want to say thank you just for being so generous um, and, and loving other people, people that you don't know, but to be honest with you, people that your children or grandchildren are going to school with or going to daycare with, and, uh, and they need to know that there's churches, uh, the people of God, who, who love simply just helping other people. Uh, this morning, as you're turning in your scripture, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 12. And you might be asking as you're like, Revelation chapter 12, isn't this a Christmas series? It is. Didn't he just tell us to go to Revelation chapter 12? I did. Uh, I asked Erica, I told her, I was like, man, I'm going to be preaching on Revelation 12. And she said, why? <laughs> I don't know if she doesn't have like faith in me to be able to preach out of Revelation or if she's just wondering why I didn't go with like Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 or Matthew chapter 2 or Luke chapter 2 or... You know, we can keep going, right? Isaiah chapter 9, I mean, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. I mean, we could go all over the place. We can even go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, about the very beginning, the seed of the woman, which is going to crush, right? Um, we could have gone anywhere, but yet I said, you know what? We're going to switch it up a little bit because the Christmas narrative is absolutely present here. But what I really wanted to get beyond just the Christmas narrative is that there is a spiritual reality behind the physical, uh, we do not, as it says in Scripture, wrestle against flesh and blood alone. We wrestle against what? Principalities and powers, and therefore we must put on the full armor of God, which means don't depend on you. You're not nearly as clever, as good, or able as you may think you are. And so God tells us, you can't do it, but I can do it through you. It says that God's grace is sufficient for us, and so that's what we're going to look at a little bit this morning as we look at the magnitude Picking up where Derek left off, but the magnitude of God who dwells in unapproachable light, who could not be seen or he would kill you. Even Moses, his right-hand man, as far as a human being could be said. I mean, he was holy and followed God and was good in all of his household, according to Hebrews. But yet, when he asked God, says, I want to see your glory. God says, if you see me face to face, you're dead. 
Because God is other than we are. God is holy, therefore he's separate. He is beyond our understanding and comprehension, yet he describes himself in such ways that we might know him. And he did it in the most ultimate, practical, in the flesh kind of way possible in the incarnation, which is the coming of Jesus Christ, the God-man. Our New City Catechism for this week, before I get past that, is we're in week 49. It says, where is Christ now? Which is very apt for the text this morning. As a congregation, Christ rose bodily from the grave on the third day after his death and is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling his kingdom and interceding for us until he returns to judge and renew the whole world. Amen to that, right? So what do you think about? When you think about Christmas, what comes to mind? You know, is it, is it the holly jolly Christmas? They, that's the reason they don't give me a mic. You know what I'm saying? Is it, is it the holly jolly? Is it the Frank Sinatra? I don't like the new stuff, to be honest. I mean, some of the new stuff's okay. Bing Crosby and all that. Like, it, it's those guys that I'm over here like, man, that's good stuff. Um, but they, they talk about a white Christmas. I live in Louisiana. I can't relate. You know, I'm just saying, like, I don't know what they're talking about. Um, they, they bring up words that don't even make sense. Have you ever noticed? I mean, most Christmas songs that are secular are dumb as all get out. I mean, they're, they're cute. They sound good. I'm, I'm not hating on Christmas. I enjoy Christmas by all means, but it's just like you're talking about stupid stuff, but you're singing it with a jingle. Have a holly jolly. You know what I'm saying? Like you're smiling when you're doing it. But I think about, I mean, for instance, lights. I, I think about lights. Every year I get in trouble for not putting lights on our house. Preach it. Go ahead. Give me that window washer. Give me that window washer. Do it. Come on now. I'm serious. Like every year I get in trouble about lights. I'm just like, we've got lights that work on our house. Why in the world do we have to put up extra lights? That's extra bills. I'm trying to save you money. I'm trying to get you out of the hood. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I'm trying to work with me, Erica. Come on. Every year I get in trouble with this. And man, some people, you know, you take out a second mortgage to put cool lights on your house. And I think it's cool. I like driving in your neighborhoods, but it's just not for me. See? Gifts, man, gifts, I mean, you think about lights, you think about gifts, and I mean, Abram, man, that boy, he knows how to ask. Good gracious alive, just ask my dad. <laughs> my dad has, like, he used to have 40 knives, and now he has about 38. I mean, he only, no, no, he has only about two, because Abram has 38 of them. Uh, he, he asked Pop for all kinds of stuff, because he knows that dad is very gracious. He asked me the other day, he said, Dad, I want a motorcycle for Christmas. And I was like, it ain't happening, boy. <laughs> Had to bring my voice a little different. It ain't happening, you understand me? Look at my eyes, boy. Don't be crying come Christmas and you get a daisy rider. You shoot your out, son. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, I'm not getting you a motorcycle. Then he comes back at me. He's like, Santa will get it. <laughs> I, was like, I said, I know Santa. I know Santa. Just like a buddy the elf, I, I made my trek a time or two. You know, I, I know what New York City's like. Right? So I'm, I'm over here like, no, Santa's not getting you that. I spoke to him. Not getting you the motorcycle and and he kind of looked bummed. I was like, listen, but you will get that new pair of underwear and socks. You're going to be fresh. You're going to be fresh. Come back to school time, right? Uh, COVID and the creek don't rise. Lord willing, we're going to send you back to school after, right? We, we think about all these, all these things. We, we think about all, all this stuff. And, and, and to be honest, we can get overwhelmed with it, right? I mean, some of you, you already know about the parties that you got coming. You already know about the food that you got to get prepared. You already know about the dress, and you don't want to wear the same dress because someone might see you at the same event to another event. I mean, you got all this stuff going on. And I don't think that way, but I think a lot of people think that way. But some of the things that we, we do is with the Christmas text, we're, we're, we're used to it. You expect it, you knew it was coming. And maybe even some of you this morning said, yeah, we're going to church, man, and 
Yep, I bet I can guess which one. It's like going to a wedding. I know it's going to be 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8. I know he's going to throw a little Ruth in there, chapter 1, verse 16. You know, I know he's going to have a little bit of Boaz and Ruth in that. You know, you know it's coming, and therefore you what? Familiarity breeds contempt. That's the phrase, right? And what I mean by contempt is not that you're angry at something, but I mean that it's just like it's, it's common. You hear John 3, 16, and because you learned it in VBS, if you were raised that way, you're over here saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and you just spit it out, but without recognizing the tremendous impact that God so loved sinful me in you that he sent his most valuable, most precious, most wonderful gift possible. See, Christmas truly is all about light because it says that there was people who dwelt in darkness, and that's all of us, and they've seen a great light. His name's Jesus. See, Christmas truly is about gifts. It's just not our little trinket gifts that basically are going to get thrown away within a short period of time or broken. It's about the one true gift, and so us giving gifts is only a small reflection of the one who is the true gift giver. Let's just make sure we never fall in love with the gifts. Let's make sure we fall in love with Jesus, right? Don't fall in love with the creation, fall in love with the creator. Because that makes everything more wonderful and more beautiful and more of a blessing so that we recognize that all good gifts come from our Father above, the Father of lights. We've got to be careful during this time of year to guard our hearts so that we don't lose sight of the goodness of God in the midst of the Christmas narrative in the incarnation. And what I want to do is basically pull back a little bit of reality because that's what Revelation does. Revelation messes with people's heads and, and basically they, they have the charts and they have the pie graphs and they have all these different things and how it's going to happen and they got Apache helicopters and tanks and all this stuff and I'm like, stop it. Stop it. Stop it, okay? I know that a lot of y'all are coming from different backgrounds, different churches and reading different versions of the Bible and all that kind of good stuff. But listen, Revelation from start to finish is about the victory of Jesus and the victory of his saints who are more than conquerors because of Christ Jesus who keep his testimony even unto the point of death. Even in death, we are victorious because of Jesus. And what's gonna happen in chapter 12 is God's gonna pull back the curtain and say, I want you to see what's happening behind the scenes. I know what you're going through. I know that some of you are getting your heads cut off. I know that some of you are physically dying. I know that some of you are having your property stolen. I know some of you are bewildered by the chaotic living hell that you're going through right now, but I want you to see what's really behind it, and I want you to recognize that in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors, that neither life nor death nor angel nor demon, nor height, nor death can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we see this whole flow. Listen, if all you ever get is news stories out of Revelation, you're not even reading the book. You might as well just put it down. But if you see the victory through Jesus Christ, if you see the lamb who was slain, who is now the lamb that is victorious, some 22 times in the book of Revelation alone, it talks about Christ as the lamb. That's when you see Revelation for what it truly is, that all things 21 and 22 will be restored to right. The Bible is a meta-narrative. It starts in Genesis 1 and goes all the way to Revelation 22. It's not some hodgepodge of a bunch of different stories that don't really have a meaning or purpose. It is a powerful narrative of how God redeems sinful humanity, and he does it through the person of Jesus Christ, and that's why Christmas is so amazing. Amen? Revelation 12, 1. It says, and a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. 
And another sign appeared in the heavens, and behold, a great red dragon with seven, horn, or seven heads and ten horns on his head and seven diadems. And, the tail, and his tail swept a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she would be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven." And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accused them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she might be nourished for a time and times and a half a time. The serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. And that's the word of the Lord this morning. If you were listening to what I just said, that should have thrown you in a tizzy. Like, oh, what in the world is he talking about? Great signs. I saw a woman in heaven and she was clothed in the sun. What does it say about God? Psalms 104 verse 1 and 2 says that God is robed in majesty and clothed with the sun. It tells us in First. Uh, Timothy chapter 6, that God dwells in unapproachable light. We see this woman. This woman represents all of the people of God throughout history, specifically true Israel, right? The nation of Israel as a whole. Not all Israel is Israel. Not all those who are circumcised. I'm going to Romans, by the way. Um, not all of those who are circumcised are truly of the circumcision, right? So there's, there's a difference. Just because you're born a Jew doesn't make you a Jew as in spiritually before God. It's through the seed of Abraham is who? It's Christ. Galatians tells us that very, very clearly. So when we look at this text, we see this woman representing all of the people of God, specifically before, but then throughout all of history, because we see in verse 17 the same thing, the woman and her offspring, right? Those who are what? Who come forth from the church, and the church is what birthed through Christ Jesus, but there's not a delineation or a stop point. I don't like that. I don't understand why so many people try to force that between the people of God have always been the people of God. It's a linear line. It doesn't stop, okay? The people of God are the people of God. We see that she was what? There was a moon under her feet, which speaks of dominion, and on her head, there was a crown of 12 stars. 12, typically, Israel, right? 12 tribes. Revelation 21, not just 12 tribes that make the foundation of the heavenly Jerusalem, but it's a what? The 12 apostles. Do you think Jesus, by accident, chose 12 apostles? 
Was he not over here saying and stating to the whole world at that point in time, this is the quote unquote new Israel. This is the people of God for Jesus is the what? True Israel. He says, it's not enough in Isaiah 49 that you would save a nation. You're gonna save the nations, amen? Go back and read it yourself. Christ is the perfect picture. Christ is the one in which fulfills all that Israel physically could not fulfill. Remember why they had to be 40 years in the wilderness in Exodus? It wasn't because God was initially sending them to 40 years. It's because they forsook God and turned from following him. So for 40 years, representing the 40 days, they were in the promised land. He says, you are going to be in the what wilderness? Now, what happens in the wilderness? God nourishes them. What are we reading right here? God nourishes them, right? God nourishes the people, and that's the most important thing that we see right here. Now, when we begin to flow from this, we see that what? Jesus was in, tested for how many days? Right after he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, how many days? 40 days. Did Jesus fail when he was tested? Not a single time. Three of the temptations of Satan are recorded in Scripture so that we might see specifically dealing with his authority as God and ruler over the kingdom. What does Jesus say at the very end of his ministry before he is to ascend to the throne? All authority in heaven has been given unto me. What did we just read? All authority has been given unto his Christ. What looked like defeat at the cross is actually the victory of God on full display, according to Colossians 2.15. What looked like an innocent babe on a normal night was actually the invasion of God into humanity and into history. And because of him, we have life. And not just a little bit, a lot of it, abundantly. Man, that should change the way that you begin to look at Christmas. There's so many other places, as me and Erica were talking, that I could have went, maybe should have went, but I just, I couldn't help it. I just felt led in this direction. I just wanted to go here. When we see powerful nations and pomp and big buildings and splendor, God says, I see beast. When the people of Israel saw Babylon at the time of their captivity, they saw this monstrosity, power. And what did God say? I see a beast. I see one beast after another that's going to fall. I see one statue after another that's going to be crushed by a stone that was not cut by man's hands. You know, I, I see something different than you see. And, I, and that's what I'm really going to focus on this morning. I just want us to see something different. We are spiritual people still living in physical bodies. There's nothing wrong with our physical bodies per se, but yet we are trapped in what? Sin. We continue to struggle with sin and temptation, and yet God says, I want you as spiritual people, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, to see things more clearly. When we see the rising and falling of world leaders and nations, God sees his perfect hand of providence working out unto our good for eternity. When we experience persecution and trials, God sees a refinement taking place in the process so that there might not be any dross sin in our own lives. You see, when God is at work in our lives, we can take hold and take rest and take hope because he what? He works out all things to the what? To the good, those who loved him and are called according to to his purpose. Now, does that mean at that moment when you're going through a really, 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 really bad time that you want someone to pop that verse back at you? Probably not. I'm not going to bring it up, but I had my own moment the other day when Erica pretty much asked me, have you spent time with Jesus today? And I was like, oh, oh yeah. Whew. It's like, obviously not. Thanks for noticing. What I want us to see this morning for taking notes with me, either inside of your app or inside of the worship God, Christmas tells of a spiritual reality that eclipses what our senses can perceive. 
Christmas tells of a spiritual reality that eclipses what our senses can perceive. How many of y'all look at the Christmas cards that you get? Hopefully you do, right? They're usually a cute picture of a family, right? They've dolled it up a good bit, used a filter. You know, I mean, it's, it's all, it's nice. Everything about Christmas, but I don't know about you. Take Christmas and then take Mary, a teenager, most likely, right? Uh, take her without an epidural and take her without any drugs and then also take her out of her normal area where she lives in the upper regions of Galilee, bring her down, try to find a Holiday Inn, but Holiday Inn doesn't have any room and then throw her either inside of a barn or a cave, something like that. I don't know about you, but I don't see anything about that that looks all rosy and a halo over her head. I don't know about that. I'm just maybe reading into the Bible a little bit too much, but I just don't see it that way. When Erica, who did have drugs when she had both of our babies in the process of it, when she grabbed hold of my hand, you thought it was like a 10-ton truck that just ran over it. I mean, she was squeezing, and I was like, stop it. It's hard. It's painful. It's gritting of teeth. It's the birth. It's the anguish. It's the pain, right? You see those Christmas cards, and Scripture says, well, have any of your Christmas cards ever had a red dragon? No. I'm encouraging some of you all to play a prank on somebody, send it with a red dragon, say Merry Christmas, right? (laughs) It depicts a heavenly battle taking place because God is coming in the form of a man, coming as a male child. Revelation 12 does not show a picture of the shepherds, and it doesn't show a picture of the wise men, and it doesn't show a picture of an infanticidal king. It shows a red dragon waiting to devour this child. That's what we see when you pull back the curtain because the same God in Leviticus 26 that said, I will walk among my people and I will dwell with them has come. The promise of the Old Testament finds its yes and its amen in Jesus Christ. Jesus came and fulfilled the promises. Though we are caught between the already and not yet, we see the fulfillment of God in the midst of this. According to systematic theology, a way of saying what Jesus became is this, remaining what he was, he became what he was not. Fully God took on the form of human being, which should blow our mind. There is a spiritual reality behind the physical. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, for we walk, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. Why is prayer powerful? Because of who we pray to. It is the weirdest thing in the world. I'm encouraging all of you who do claim the name of Jesus. Do not ever put on Facebook, social media, whatever it is that you use. I'm just looking for people to send good vibes. Like I got a surgery tomorrow. Send the good vibes. I'm like, what vibes? Vibrations? Like, I mean, what, what do you want? I love it. This is when people don't have an answer for anything and they're like, yeah, like, I don't believe like, in this or that. I'm, kind of, I'm just spiritual, man. I'm like, well, that sounds really ethereal. There's wind outside as well and it blows. You know what I'm saying? Like, what does that mean? That's just a cop out. That's not a real answer. That's for somebody who's not willing to say that I don't know. So I'm spiritual. Why is prayer powerful and why do we do it? Because we believe that we are heard by the blood of Jesus. We believe that There is a reality beyond ours, and we believe the one that we speak to is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, and therefore, he hears us because of his son. 
Why do we pray when Thumper Miller last week on Thanksgiving Day had two strokes, half of his body was paralyzing, yet come Friday, come visit him, he almost looks 100% perfectly normal. If you're not a believer, you just say, man, he's lucky. No, 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 no. God is gracious. God is good. Why do we pray for Piper and why do we pray for Max and why do we pray for families that are grieving because we believe our God is a healer. We believe our God is a comforter. We believe in Jesus Christ. We have hope. We believe that even in the mix of sickness and in cancer that we still have hope. We believe that even in death, that as a Christian, that is a door to walk into the very presence of God, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. If I'm in the body, then I'm gonna do good for the Lord. But to be absent's better. And you're like, what does that even mean? What means that to be with the Lord is absolutely wonderful. Think how much struggle and worry that every single one of us has, and we call it normal. We're always worried about this, and we're worried about that, and worried about this bill, and worried about this health, and worried about this thing. There won't be any more worry. No more pain, no more sorrow. Because God sent his son. Again, Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You can say, I don't, I don't believe in these spiritual things. Well, you can also say you don't believe in the sun, but it doesn't change the fact that you feel it. It doesn't change the fact that it's real. Every one of us has an opinion, Correct. But your opinion, no matter how important you or I think that we are, is only as good as it is aligned with truth. Your opinion and my opinion is only as good and as valuable as it is aligned with truth. Just because you're adamant about something or because it's a tradition passed on to you from your grandparents, listen, if your grandparents were wrong, love them, respect them from a distance, but also align yourself with Jesus who is truth. Who is truth. We must align ourselves to the reality of what God is doing. Have you ever seen something in the mix of these verses right here? Look at verse four, the second half of it. It says, and there was a dragon that stood before, um, before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore a child, he might devour it. Have you ever heard that before? Does that sound like something maybe you've, you've heard? Well, it is. Matthew chapter two, what do we see? We see King Herod doing what? We see King Herod after the wise men have come. We know that the span's roughly 18 to 24 months after the birth of Jesus. I don't want to mess up your nativity scene, right? If you got the shepherds over here and you got the wise men over here and, and the camels and, and racehorses and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> Y'all didn't think that was fine. Fair enough. Fair. But it wasn't like that. It, it wasn't like that at all. But when Herod found out about it, it said everyone was in an uproar because they said, we've come to see the king of the Jews. Herod was a vassal king set up in place. He wasn't a real king. He wasn't even truly fully Jewish. So, I mean, he really had no business being over. He just had gotten set up over them through the Roman government. But what do we see? He kills all of the children, and in a vision, they leave and flee to Egypt, fulfilling a Hosea prophecy about Jesus, right? Where do we see, as well, all the way back in Exodus, before we see Moses, what do we see? We see the boy, the male children being what? slaughtered wholesale through a what? Tossed into a river, which sounds a lot like 16 and 15, doesn't it? Spewed out of its mouth, water, and the earth opened up. Again, picture its symbolism, of course, but it's, there's a reality behind the symbolism, right? 
We see in Numbers 16 the very same thing. The, the people of Korah who were saying that we deserve the same power as Moses. What did Moses say? If they die a normal death, then I'm not a prophet of God. But if they die in a unique way, then it is God's will. And it says the earth opened itself up and swallowed them whole. Don't miss the symbolism. And by the way, don't neglect to read your Bible or a lot of the stuff I'm saying on a Sunday morning will not make very much sense, okay? There's a spiritual reality behind the physical what about the plagues in Egypt with Moses? What about Joshua in Jericho? I don't know about you, but if you got problems and you walk around your house six times, then on the seventh day you decide to do a little extra exercise and do it seven times and say, fall down, walls. Ain't nothing gonna happen. I'm just saying. It was spiritually relevant for that moment in that time because God commanded it to be so. So it's great if you wanna do that and you wanna walk around your house, that's awesome. But it was God's power that knocked the walls down, not the shout of the people of Israel per se. It was God working through them. When we see Elijah and his servant, y'all remember that? 2 Kings chapter 6. It says that the Syrian king surrounded them on the top of the mountain. And it says that his servant got up before him and he stretched, I'm adding details, stretched, got him that McDonald's cup of black coffee, took a sip, and then all of a sudden he looked and said, oh my, oh no, okay. All right, master. And he comes back in and he gets Elijah out. And Elijah says, there's more with us than with them. And the guy's like, you're an idiot, man. Like, you're crazy. And what does he do? He says, he prays to the Lord to open the eyes of his servant. And he sees there's chariots of fire with flaming angels around. What is he saying? There is a spiritual reality. And if time had a place in this room. If we had more, there are so many again and again and again. And some of y'all are like, man, Josh, those are, those are stories from a long time ago. We're smarter than that. We're enlightened these days. We know better, right? Okay, who inspires abortion? Who inspires the murder of the unborn? Oh, I know that you see the people. I know you see them fighting for choice. No, no, no. Who inspires the murder of the unborn? Who inspired Stalin and Hitler, Mussolini? Who? Who inspires, and these are just big names. I'm talking about the sin even in our own life. Who inspires such things as this? Who inspires falsehood? Who inspires the persecution of the people of God throughout the world where they get their heads cut off because they believe in Jesus as the one true God? Who inspires that? Revelation says it's a great red dragon. Now again, red, what's that all about, blood? Dragon, what's that all about? It's the monster, it's the hideous one that's being described in the Old Testament. In some places, the monster is Pharaoh. In some places, it's Babylon or Assyria. In some places, it's different things. The point is not who it is. The point is what is behind it, causing men and women throughout all of history to hate the people of God and hate God himself. Jesus said, John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Am I going too far? You see, the coming of Jesus was not just some event. The coming of Jesus was cosmic in effect and eternal in consequence. The coming of Jesus was far bigger than we could possibly imagine. And secondly, is this the incarnation of Christ was the invasion of God into history? Like the incarnation of Christ was the invasion of God into history. I don't know about you, but if I was going to come rule and reign, I don't know that I would have come as a baby. 
You can't make this stuff up. A baby to a teenager who's betrothed, but not yet even the fully married, so that for the rest of her life, she's gonna look to everyone else as though she was unfaithful to Joseph. And Joseph's gonna look like he's weak. I mean, think about that. A baby. You don't even give him a real place to stay. Everybody got the angel, I mean, the, uh, the animals. They reek. Have you ever been around animals that don't have much space to move about? I would have come as Rambo. I would have come with a big knife. Inside of that knife, I would have had fishing string just in case I cut my arm real deep. And I would have sewed that sucker up. Maybe Terminator, I don't know. Just depends which one, one or two. Not the 20th one. But God came as a baby. You know, this, 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 this messes people up. Because the people of Israel couldn't deal with it either. Because it wasn't what they expected. It wasn't how they viewed it. It wasn't how they read the scriptures. It wasn't how they envisioned their Messiah. It wasn't how they envisioned this new David. How many times have you been, whether you say it this way or not, not because God has done any wrong, but because you have a wrong view and wrong expectation of God let down? How many times have you just been like, God, I'm sick of this been working my tail off. I should have gotten this. I should have gotten the raise. I should have gotten acknowledgement. How many people, even during this time of year, which is a very difficult time for many people, especially if you've lost someone that you love in recent months or years, how many people, even followers, devout followers of Jesus Christ, really begin to question the goodness and the love of God? You know? You see, if we can sit still long enough, the coming of Jesus lays to rest every question in doubt, I believe. Romans 5, 8 says it this way, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at that real quick. Shows. See, some people, you'll, you'll buy into it. God does love me. He did love me before I did such and such. He did find me beautiful, acceptable, worthy, but man, I blew it. I got to work my way back in. I got to earn it. That battle of legalism never leaves us very far, does it? It's always in the background. Always working for it. Always trying to earn it. Look what he says. God shows. That's present. Indicative. Means that it's not what? It's not hypothetical. It's reality. Now here's the other part. Here's what really should mess you up. God so loved the world, you, that he sent his son to die. We have a lot of people that don't love us or like us very much. 
in our lives. Maybe not a lot, but some. And the world gets our best foot forward most of the time until we blow up or go off the edge of a cliff, right? We filter everything. It's not just on social media. We always want to get our best foot forward because there is a longing that is ingrained within us that God placed there to be pleasing and to be loved, to be wanted, to be embraced. Some of you guys are sitting out there right now, I man, I don't want to be loved or embraced. Okay, you want to be respected. You want to be found worthy. It is this fact that God knows you at every single atom of you, every single particle of you, knows your motivation for why you do what you do and ready for it, he still says, I love you. We say we earn it. Jesus says, I've done it. We say we got to work. Jesus says, it's finished. He was born to die. He was a gift to be received and rejoiced over. Not paid for, not paid back. We live by the Spirit of God thereafter to do good works because that is the only natural overflow of a son or daughter of God. J.I. Packer said it this way, it is here in the thing that happened at that first Christmas that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The Word became flesh. God became a man. The divine Son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. Isn't that crazy? That God loved you so much that he sent his son. We have a bad memory when it comes to our wrongs, don't we? We try to forget those pretty quick. But if you even recognize for a moment the sin in our lives, past, even present, and sadly yet future for us, and he loves us. You see, we celebrate Advent every year. Advent means arrival. We celebrate Advent because of what? That Jesus came, but what did he also promise? He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm, I'm coming back. Hebrews 9, 28, what does he say? So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are what? Who are eagerly waiting for him. I mean, when we talk about Christmas, if there is no joy in your heart because of what Christ has done, there's something wrong. If there is no yearning for his coming, Why? Have we gotten too old to find joy in the smallest things? And age really doesn't have anything to do with being cold-hearted. 
Is there a longing? Notice those words there. Is there a longing for his second coming? A longing for him to make all things right. We close here. Jesus has won the victory. Therefore, we have hope. We have a future. Man, that's, that's what we read as we continue to flow down in chapter 12 of Revelation. Look at verse 10. And he says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Amen? Now they've come. Have you ever heard something so good? It's come. But everyone's like, but it's so chaotic. The world's still messed up, Josh. I mean, there's still, everything seems like it's not going right this year. I mean, look at 2020. Is God not good? Everybody likes to quote Isaiah 43 too. He says, I'll be with you, what? The river, the fire. I'll be with you. Notice what it didn't say. If you're my son or my daughter, you're not going through the fire. You're not going through the river, no. He says, no, I will be with you. I will walk with you in dark and trying times. I will be with you. You see, we have the victory when you go on to read further. It says, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. We're not just getting by, brothers and sisters in Christ. It says that we are what more than conquerors in Christ Jesus according to Romans 8, 37. How can it be that we are victorious? We are victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are victorious because of what he accomplished on the cross. We are victorious because he was victorious. The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. It is the most wonderful message the world has ever heard or will ever hear, according to J.I. Packer, and I happen to agree. Jesus welcomes you into his family. I think that's a pretty amazing thing. It says in Hebrews 2 that he's not ashamed to call you his brother, to call you his sister. He loves you, and he continues to show forth that love for you. How do you respond to that? What do you do in light of that? The Son of God became man to enable men to become the sons of God, according to C.S. Lewis, and I believe that is true. Jesus came here so that we could have life. Now, it wasn't just a little life, it was life abundantly. It was absolute renewal. As we call it, we call it regeneration. Conscience has been wiped clean. How many of y'all know that we need our sins forgiven? How many of y'all know that we are in desperate need of a savior? 
How many of us recognize the fact that without Christ, we would still be absolutely wandering in darkness without hope and without God? But because of Jesus Christ, we, unlike all the people across the face of the earth, have hope and have a future. Not even death, as hard as that can be, can separate us from the love of God. And for those who knew Christ and know Christ, even then, it's only temporary until we shall see them again. You see, it changes everything. If the gospel hasn't infiltrated every area of your life, then I don't know if you fully have grasped the good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus is not just that we show up on a Sunday morning to get a pep talk for about 35 minutes and then go about our way. The good news about Jesus is that God came to die for you and for me to give us life to live now, whatever it is that you do to live to his glory, to live for his honor, and to be with him for all of eternity. That all of this pain and all this sorrow and all this wickedness and all of this stuff that we just say, I just wish it would end. He says it's coming soon. He says it's coming soon. But be faithful until your time. Be faithful all the way to the end. For his promises are true and he is faithful. Let's stand, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord God. We thank you for the opportunity it is each Sunday to join together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, Father. We thank you for those who come through the doors, Father, some of which they've not come into relationship with you, Lord God. They, they haven't quite understood the whole story and the whole picture, and I pray that I nor anyone else in here would ever hinder them in any form or fashion. Father, that we would speak your truth clearly and boldly, Lord God, that we'd be unapologetic about the fact that, Jesus, you are the way and you are the truth and you are the life. You are the only way to the Father. You are the only peace. You are the lamb that was slaughtered before the foundation of the world. You are our hope. You're absolutely everything to us, Lord God. These are not mere words. Father, may the gospel penetrate every area of our life and every area of darkness. Father, for those of us, all of us have different areas, but for struggling in sin, struggling in temptation, Father, may we give ourselves humbly before you, draw near to you so that you might draw near to us. Lord God, your promises, they remain true. Let us live in light of these things, Father God. As we close this service, Father, may this be a wonderful time of prayer. A time of prayer of praise, a time of prayer of supplication for those coming forward, Lord God. That this could be an opportunity just to pour out their hearts before you and say, Lord, I love you. God, you saved me. You redeemed me. You bought me. And I am yours. Let me rejoice in that every day. And thank you for these moments like Advent, celebration of the coming of your son, Jesus Christ, that I am reminded of such a wonderful gift. So in Jesus we pray.